Tonight's scripture reading will be from uh, the book of John, chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. That's uh, page 887 in the Red Pew Bibles. John, chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. How can one be born when he is old? The question that Nicodemus asked Jesus when he found him at night, after he came to Jesus, the first thing that he said to him was, Rabbi, we know in verse number 2 of chapter 3, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. This evening, as you can tell, as we think about the idea and the concept of being born again, you recognize if you have uh, perhaps been around Christianity at any length of time in your life, that this is in reference to becoming a Christian through the, the process of, the, of entering into the watery grave of baptism. And so as we think about those things, I want us to examine some foundational truths considering and concerning baptism. Number one, I want us to consider in regard to baptism, with regard to this particular verse, the fundamental importance of baptism. The fundamental importance of baptism. Baptism and, and the idea of baptism is important because of who talked about it and what is said about it. Notice what Jesus said. Obviously, as we think about why it's important, it is important because Jesus himself talked about it and, and expressed the importance of it. Consider what Jesus said. In verse number three, he says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this question that we've asked at the beginning of our, of our sermon this evening, how can a man be born again unless he enters, or when he is old, can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we think about the importance of baptism, many in the religious world may allege that members of the church express too much and emphasize too much importance on the idea of baptism. But as we see from the very beginning this evening, the one in whom Nicodemus found and said, we know that you are from God, the one in whom we know has died upon the cross for our sins, the one who has been the atoning sacrifice on our behalf, expressed the fundamental importance of baptism, that we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless one is born again. Consider secondly this evening as we back up. That's the emphasis of our lesson. What is, what is baptism all, all about? Why is it important? Let's go all the way back to 2 Kings and consider with me secondly this evening the foreshadowing of baptism. 
the foreshadowing of baptism. If you go all the way back to 2 Kings chapter number 5, you will perhaps recall the account in which Naaman, a, a military leader in Syria, was inflicted with and had contracted the disease of leprosy. And in 2 Kings chapter number 5, we see a principle that is established. And we would read the entire account if we had the, uh, enough time this evening. We would read the account, entire account of, of verses 1 through 14 perhaps and even following after that. But for time's sake, let's consider verse, uh, particularly verses 10 through 14. Elisha sent a messenger to him, that is to Naaman, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet would have told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more than when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You've noticed the questions and, and the reaction that Naaman had to this command to go into the Jordan River and to dip seven times. And we understand that there's not an exact parallel between this account in the Old Testament and the, the idea of baptism in the New Testament. But as we think about the principle that is established here and the idea of water being used in this particular situation in which the cleansing of Naaman takes place, we can see the principle that God has set forth certain things as commandments for his people or for those that want to do his will in order to receive the benefits and the blessings that he promises but consider also with me, we'll, we'll go to the New Testament for this particular passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. But this particular passage is in reference to, in large part, in reference to something that happened in the Old Testament. And again, another principle or, or an idea or, 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 or a fundamental principle that is established even in the Old Covenant. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 3. Beginning of verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, whom formerly were disobedient, when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, notice, were saved through or by water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Admittedly, sometimes this can be a difficult passage. And maybe if we look at it and we see that, it, that particular phrase, Noah was saved by water, we might ask ourselves the question, wait, I thought that Noah was saved by the ark. Noah and his family were saved by the ark. But consider that it wasn't necessarily the ark, per se, that saved Noah and his family. Yes, the ark saved Noah and his family from the water, from the flood, but it was the flood waters themselves 
that saved Noah and his family from the sinful world that they were inhabiting. And so it was that this water came and cleansed the earth of the sinful practices of the world. And so in a way, in a sense, Noah and his family, though the the waters of the flood were destructive, they were what saved Noah and his family. They elevated them away and prepared and took them away from those sinful individuals. And we'll speak more about this shortly. But suffice it to say that Peter, an inspired apostle, makes the link between the global flood and the work of baptism. Third this evening, consider the frontier of baptism. The frontier of baptism. We've already discussed that Jesus himself has emphasized the importance of baptism. But consider also that baptism is something that was commanded by Jesus in the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus gives this Great Commission as he reminds or or gives them this task to go into all the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And how do we do that? We see those participles that are to follow. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And also teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Notice the frontier. The frontier was not limited to any particular one group of people. But rather that they were to go into all nations and to preach the gospel. And what made up teaching them and making disciples, how they did that was going about and baptizing and and teaching them to observe all things that Jesus had commanded them. We'll we'll notice this verse a little bit later, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, for by, by baptism we are all added to one body, both Jews and Greeks, that encompasses all, that encompasses everyone. And so baptism, the frontier of baptism, is not limited to any one group of people, but it is, it is something that is extended toward all and expected of all. Number four this evening, consider the frequency of baptism. The frequency of baptism. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, particularly chapter number two. And we're going to, to just thumb through the book of Acts very quickly and consider 11 different conversion accounts. Okay, we won't take the time to read all of these, but we'll just reference them and you can notate them uh, and the verses surrounding them. But consider the frequency in which baptism is found in the conversion accounts to the book of Acts. Particularly to start with Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, in which the Jews had come for this particular feast. And they came and they heard the apostles preaching, particularly Peter. And Peter was preaching what is sometimes known as the first gospel sermon. And if you recall, he preached to them Jesus. And he told them that they were the ones that had crucified Jesus. They were responsible for his death. And they were cut to the heart, verse 37, to the point that they asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, what must we do to be saved? How can we make this right? How can we, how can we make the, the scales even, if you will? Notice Peter's answer in verse 38. Peter said, Repent, let every one of you be baptized for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is found in the very first conversion in the book of Acts, in which individuals ask the question, What shall we do? How do we make this right? No, they weren't in, these individuals weren't saving themselves. Jesus saved and saves us today through his blood, through his atoning sacrifice. But baptism played a part in that very first conversion in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Consider also 
three different accounts in Acts chapter number 8, beginning with the conversion of the Samaritans. Very quickly, we'll consider the fact that again, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus was preached. They asked the question, what shall we do? Baptism ensued. In Acts chapter number 8, in verse number 12, we see that Jesus was being preached, and notice what takes place. These individuals, concerning, after hearing the, the, these things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. That's verse number 12. But also consider verse number 13 in the conversion of Simon. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. What was it that Philip believed? He believed the very same things that, that the Samaritans believed after hearing Jesus being preached. When Jesus is preached... Individuals learn about what it is that they need to do in response to that story or that account of Jesus. Consider also in Acts chapter 8, the account of the Ethiopian eunuch or the Ethiopian nobleman. Notice what takes place in verse number 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him. And in verse 36, the, the, the Ethiopian asked the question, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then both Philip in verse, in verse 38 and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Four accounts so far through Acts. And we see four different accounts in which individuals put, the, put their Lord on in baptism. But notice also Acts chapter number 9. The account of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. In which as he's on, on the road to Damascus, he is blinded by Jesus and he goes and, and is found there. And who teaches him? But this man who tells him in Acts chapter number 9 and is recounted later on in Acts chapter 22 that he needed to be baptized. And in verse 17, after Ananias comes and preaches Jesus. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Five accounts, five baptisms. Acts chapter number 10. Consider the conversion of Cornelius, particularly in verse number 36, that his conversion, that his baptism was in response to the preaching of Jesus Christ of Acts chapter number 10, verse 36. Consider also Acts chapter number 16, a couple of different conversion accounts here, particularly beginning with the conversion of Lydia, in which Jesus was preached. She hears Paul speaking of Jesus in verse 14. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So what is that now? Seven accounts. Seven baptisms. Then the jailer, also in Acts chapter 16, after Paul and Silas had been singing in prison at night, the earthquake comes and their, their bonds are loose. And... The, the jailer is about to kill himself, seeing that he thinks that they had fled. And, they, and he, when they stop him, he asks the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse number 30. And they said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and all your household. And some individuals might stop at this verse and say, All that we need to do is believe. But notice what is found later on. That he takes them the very same hour of the night, verse 33, and washes their stripes. 
And immediately he and all his family, those that heard about Jesus, were baptized. Consider also Acts chapter number 18, the conversion of the Corinthians. These individuals, again, after having Jesus preached to them, what did they hear? They heard about the gospel, particularly in verse number 8. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians, hearing hearing about Jesus, believed and were baptized. Acts chapter number 19, some Ephesians also were baptized after learning that their baptism originally was not the baptism that was authorized by God in this, in, in this situation that they were in. And so we have 10 different conversions, 10 different accounts in which these individuals were baptized. Now we skipped one conversion. That conversion is found in Acts chapter number 17 in the Athenians. In this particular text, Baptism is not specifically mentioned. We might ask ourselves the question, does that mean that baptism is of less importance? Because not every situation do we find individuals explicitly said to have been baptized. But I want you to consider that some might say, that those some might say, this diminishes the importance of baptism, that those individuals were saved without the action taking place during that account. Might I submit to you, that the Holy Spirit, in all of his wisdom, could have purposefully left baptism out of this particular, particular account. Why might we say that? Consider that all of all the actions associated with salvation, when Jesus is preached and people are seeking salvation, that not a single one of the steps, not every single one of the steps is explicitly stated in every single conversion account. And so as we think about what is known as sometimes the steps of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, with the exception perhaps of the Ethiopian eunuch in which you might say that there's an implication of repentance, you don't see every single one of those steps listed out in every one of those accounts. I believe that there's some wisdom in that as we think about the Holy Spirit wanting us to understand and know that there's not any one particular thing that only is the only motivating and driving factor behind our salvation, but our response to the preaching of the gospel is truly that we believe in that gospel and that we, once upon hearing it and believing it, we repent of those things that we have done wrong and we confess the name of Jesus and then we're baptized and we have our sins washed away. But baptism in and of itself is not the only thing that is expected of us. And so as we think about baptism being left out of Acts chapter 17, perhaps a supposition, but perhaps it was because of the fact that the Holy Spirit wanted to emphasize that all of these things are important. Consider next the function of baptism. The function of baptism. Very quickly, as we jot these down, consider the function that takes place or the things that take place in baptism. We've already considered Acts chapter 2, verse 38. In the response to the question, what must we do? Jesus, uh, Peter said to repent and be baptized and you will receive the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the remission of sins. So remission or forgiveness of sins in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, the, the, uh, this is Paul uh, recounting his conversion account in Acts chapter 9. Ananias says to him, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So we have the remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins, sins being washed away. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, the scripture we referenced earlier. We are saved by baptism. Turn back there with me so we can make sure that we see this again. 
Baptism is what saves us ultimately. Th- thinking about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Noah and his family, as we said earlier, were lifted up and separated from sin by the water. And it brought them into a cleansed world in which formerly was inhabited. And so in a similar sense, the waters of baptism separate us and remove us or remove sin from us that was once held to our account. So baptism is what saves us. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27, we find that in baptism we put on Christ. Or as one translation puts it, we are clothed with Christ. Consider also in Romans chapter 6 verse 3, also in Colossians chapter uh, 2 verse 12, that in baptism we have put away the old man. Our old man is put away. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4, we become a new creation. We become a new creation. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 47 were added to the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 and 27 were added to a body, that is the church. And so we see particular functions that take place specifically at baptism. But consider next the form of baptism. The form of baptism. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, we, f- we find the seven ones, and listed within that one, there is listed out as one baptism. This being an immersion, not a sprinkling, not a pouring. We could talk about the baptism of the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8, in which he goes down into the water. And he says, see, here is much water. What's hindering me from being baptized? And so, but also consider the fact that the Ethiopian was traveling through a desert, And no doubt, he surely had some canteens of water with him. And if it was simply just a sprinkling that was needed, couldn't he just have taken some of the sprinklings from the canteens of water and performed that action? But no, they find water on their route, and that's where they they, uh, perform the baptism. But also consider perhaps the most powerful explanation of this. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6, verse number 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In verse number four, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism is a burial. We don't bury people simply by just sprinkling some dirt on top of them. We simply also don't bury living people We bury dead people. And so as we think about Colossians chapter 2 verse 14, that we are buried with him in baptism, that we are reenacting the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, we see this principle of being buried with Christ in baptism, raising up as a new creature to walk in newness of life. But consider now the forgiveness in baptism. We already mentioned this earlier in the function of baptism, the remission of sins that we receive. But turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. If you've been in our Sunday morning class, you'll recall that we have mentioned this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. We see that when we're buried with him in baptism, verse 12, we are raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, notice what he says, he may, has made alive together with him, having, notice, 
forgiven you <coughs> all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Very quickly, as we consider these verses, consider that idea of forgiveness and the picture that is shown here, that handwriting of ordinances. Sometimes people will look at this and they will, they will observe it and say uh, that this is indicating that debt note that we uh, owe to God because of our sin. And that through baptism, he has forgiven us and he takes that debt note and he nails it to the cross and has wiped it away. It's no longer held to our account. That is the forgiveness that we see is found in baptism. But consider the feelings resulting from baptism. The feelings resulting from baptism. No doubt each and every one of you that have been baptized could express to those that have not the feeling of relief, the weight of sin that has come off of your shoulders because of this new creature that you are. We might say that that is some anecdotal evidence, just, the, just a feeling that we might have is, is not necessarily evidence of something for sure being the case. But notice in Acts chapter number 8 <coughs> and verse number 39, that after baptism had taken place in the conversion of the Ethiopian, then he goes on his way rejoicing. Similarly, in Acts chapter 16, verse 34, it's after the conversion of the jailer and his household that they rejoiced greatly. But also as we consider Romans chapter 6 verses 17 and 18, there's this concept or idea of, of this new allegiance that we have as Christians. When we're baptized, we have come to obey from our heart, the NIV says, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And he goes on to say that now we're servants of righteousness. As individuals that have been baptized and recognizing what we're doing in the water grave of baptism, we're raised up to walk in newness of life, and we have now committed ourselves in a new allegiance as servants of righteousness, no longer slaves of sin. But also consider this idea of a clear conscience. A clear conscience in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. As we think about this answer or an appeal for a good conscience toward God, recognize that when we have sin on our account and when we recognize what God has laid out for us in his word as what the way that we're living being contrary to it that our consciences ought to be saying something isn't right here and our conscience is saying that because we're we're breaking the law the law of Christ and when we are entering into the water of baptism and we are submitting to that we're saying to God God Please, I would love, I, I'm appealing to you for a new conscience, a clean conscience, no longer having those things held to my account. And so perhaps this evening you might have a weight of guilt on your conscience, feeling guilty for the things that you have done. Baptism will alleviate that guilty conscience in your mind when you repent, when you follow after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Consider very quickly now, the fellowship of baptism in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 and 27. We mentioned earlier that we're added to the body, we're added to the church, and it's in that body, in the church, that we have fellowship with one another because of the fellowship that we have with God, also found in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And those that have not been baptized, 
do not have fellowship with God. Do not have fellowship with other Christians. And so as we close, I want you to consider the last concept and fundamental truth about baptism. The faith that is in baptism. Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 12. We are buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him, notice, through faith in the working of God. Through faith in the working of God. Have you ever considered the fact that when you are submitting to going into this watery grave here, that you are saying, God, I trust you. I trust that the water is where my forgiveness is found, not because the water in and of itself is holy or pure, but because that's where I come into contact with the blood of Jesus. Because that's where forgiveness is found. And though it may not make sense to me, and though I may ask the question like Nicodemus and say, how can a man be born again when he's old? Maybe I don't understand that originally or at the beginning initially. But as I come to study and understand about baptism, I see that this is what God expects me to do. And though it may not completely connect all the dots in my mind, it may not completely make sense why God expects me to go into the baptism and not do any number of other things when we say, okay, God, I'm listening to you. Okay, God, I understand that's what you're saying. I trust you. Then we're demonstrating that faith. James, the book of James talks about having faith that is working and living and active and not something that is dead. Where are you this evening in response to this idea of baptism? I know the Astros are playing tonight, here pretty soon. But I imagine that the Christians here would like nothing better than for one more soul, or two or three, or however many it may be, to be added to the kingdom because of your response to this idea of baptism being necessary for your salvation. Maybe you have been baptized and you've wandered away and you've left your first love and you would like to have that clear conscience once again, having those sins being forgiven as one walking in the light. If there's anything we can do for you, we ask that you come. As together we stand. And as we sing.